and reminding us of our spiritual obligations. Those uh, few songs we did there, all of them, but some songs we don't sing very often. Onward, Christian soldiers. You know, there are uh, some entire denominations that have taken that out of their songbook because they say that we are not to, to fight. I don't think we ought to fight other Christians. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we are in a warfare. We're in for the fight of our lives. We fight the devil. And if you're not fighting him, he's fighting you. He's after you. The Bible says we have a mortal enemy and we're to put on the, the armor of God, all of it. And so um, it's not a playground, it's a battlefield. And sometimes people get injured and there are tragedies. So be strong and stand and be involved in that for your family. There's a verse in Nehemiah chapter 4 when they were rebuilding the wall that's underlined in my Bible. In Nehemiah verse 14, part of it says, I will fight for my family. I will fight for my family. And I hope you have that, that attitude that particularly on a spiritual level, sometimes you say, well, I'll fight for my family. I have a weapon. Do you have your spiritual weapons? And I want to pray for my family. I will fight for my family. I don't want Satan to have my marriage. I don't want him to have my children, my grandchildren. Not just on a, on a, a, a defensive posture, but on an offensive posture. That's somewhat of what we're talking about as we talk about sowing seeds. And then, man, that song, Faith of Our Fathers, what a great song. You know, if you read that song, again, the lyrics, and put, put this, I challenge you to do this, put in this line, faith of the martyrs living still. And it talks about people that have gone before us. And some people haven't been martyred, but they laid down their lives. And um, fathers do that, mothers do that. And we lay down our lives for our children spiritually. And our fathers have done that for us and some, some good songs. I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Galatians chapter 6. And I want to talk to you today uh, again about the law that makes us or breaks us. The law that makes us or breaks us. And, of course, that law is the law of sowing and reaping that God has put into every human heart and even nature, it's there. Everything reproduces after its kind for good or for bad. Now, I want to uh, open the message with a question and kind of go back in your memory. I guess I could have put it out in our social media to get you thinking about it. Some of you, this will come very quickly, but how many of you can remember something uh, even if your father's passed on, that your father said a lot when you were growing up. And most of you, you remember these things. That's right. Some of you are smiling. Um, my dad used to tell me when I was uh, started driving and then even a couple of years afterwards, he would get frustrated 
when I would drive on the left side of the road. Now, my dad was a professional driver. He had, he had buses, and uh, he had one bus, and he had two, then he got two, three, and he had, he had this business, and he would drive all over the southeast and sometimes drive further than that for groups and so forth. And he'd say, son, the car is made for the right side of the road. And I'm thinking, what, what does that mean? The car is made, he, and he told horses too, the car is made for the right side of the road. And I said, okay, daddy. And then I forget, and he said, all right, I want you to let go of the steering wheel. I'd get in that left lane, I'd let go, and, and the car would just, it would go over to the right. He'd just sit over there in all his glory, you know. <laughs> I still don't understand. Now, they may have changed some things. But he proved himself, you know. And then he would, he would teach me to drive these school buses. He, he had a bunch of school buses because he helped the city of Huntsville with all of their school buses and things. So we get out on that parking lot. One night he had a contract uh, way, way out in South Huntsville. He said, hey, will you go with me? I said, well, yeah. So we got on his on his one of his uh, big buses, you know, kind of like a... Not a Greyhound, but I forget the name. Those big transport buses. And he pulled off there way out. There, nobody's out there on the parkway. I thought, what, what is he doing? God, okay, I want you to drive. Dad, I can't drive this thing. Yeah, I want you to drive it. I said, well, okay. I hope you got good insurance. I'm telling you what, that thing was easier to drive than a Cadillac. You could drive it with your pinky. Seriously, the, the, the steering was just, it was unbelievable. It was really easy to drive. But when he, we get in, and he used to tell horses too, we'd drive those school buses. And, you know, the temptation is to use this mirror here. To use your mirrors, use your mirrors. He's talking about, now I know why he said that, because I was falling back on, look, and it's kind of stupid for him. Use your mirrors. And then one of the funny things he would say, uh, I love this one, and Paula knows what I'm going to say. He would say, if a man had him, if a man had him. So we were driving by. Walmart used to be over there uh, by my house at the corner of University and Jordan. And uh, now it's a storage place, I think, but it's been a whole bunch of top stores. But it used to be Walmart, and it was always packed. And I rode around my dad all the time. We'd go eat and stuff. We always listened to music, usually primitive quartet, somebody like that. We were driving by there one day, and he said, you know, he looked over there while he's driving. He said, you know, Pat, if a man had him a hot dog stand in that parking lot, he'd make him a lot of money. And I just thought that was so funny. I couldn't wait to get home and tell Hoss, Hoss. You know, if a man had him a hot dog stand in that parking lot. Well, then I got to thinking. I thought, well, who's the idiot here? You know, if a man had him a hot dog stand in that Walmart, he'd make him a lot of money. And my dad, in his wisdom, he'd be thinking about things. And he had all these sayings. Now, I have another question that you don't know. You do know the answer to. But it's kind of a scary answer, especially if your kids have Facebook. How many of you have children 
that remind you of the things you said when you were growing up as a father. And if they don't a lot, if they have brothers and sisters and you have more than one child, I will guarantee you that you are fodder for their fun. And you may as well just roll with the punches, all right? So last night I, I sent out a text to the kids. I said, hey, what are some things that you can remember me saying when you grew up? Because all my kids are older now. The babies she'll be 23 next month. What are things that you remember me saying? Well, some of them dealt with food. Where's the mayonnaise and chips, Paula? I said, that's what I said a lot. Another one said, uh, can I have some extra butter? That's a restaurant question. See, when I get my eggs or omelets, I like to put butter on it. They never put enough. Or go out and get some you know, chicken and dumplings. I want butter. Paula tells me they already put butter. Well, I can't see it. I want some more butter. Some of them put roller coaster questions. Um, ride them, cowboy. We get on a roller coaster. We'd be going down, and I would holler. I can't holler because my voice is out of holler. Ride them cowboys as loud as I could. And uh, and then one said, some of you remember Steve Spray. Steve is one childhood friend. He served here for many years. And when I'm going down, not the incline, but the decline, I, guess, I would holler, Steve Spray. I told Steve more than once, I said, Steve, people know you all over America. Yes, I'm sure they do, Richard. I'm sure you have told them all. I said, oh, no. I said, in amusement parks especially. Steve Spray. And then I like to say Geronimo. Some of you ought to be writing some things down right now. Going down, they say, Geronimo. And then my favorite one, my kids didn't tell me this one. I'm just giving you this one. Is is when you're going down that, that thing to say, oh, no, oh, no. And then uh, one of them, they said, I said, "Is you well, you know your mama. Actually, I got that from my dad. And then they gave me this one. Several of the kids said this, remember your name. Remember your name. I taught them what it meant. Your name is Johnson. Your name is Christian. And your name is Trina Village Baptist Church, Friendship Baptist Church. I taught them that when they would go out with their friends, I said, now you remember your name. And as adults, they still remember that. And then some put this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Your kids remember things. They remember things. Here's one they didn't say, but I think the most I ever said was remember your name. But here's one that I said. I said remember your name before they got in trouble. But I usually said this one after they got in trouble. And maybe that's why they didn't remember this one. Little things have big consequences. And I never said it yelling. I just said it matter-of-factly. Now, little things have big consequences. Now, that is so true. Now, as adults, we know that. And some of you parents say, boy, isn't that the truth? But why don't we pay attention to that? 
when we're younger, even as adults, why don't we pay attention to the small things, to the little things? Well, first of all, it's easy to neglect small things. They're not seen. They're not noticed. They're not applauded. I've taught you to not applaud a talent in your children, but character. A talent is seen, but applaud character. Find the root, not the fruit. And so we, we, we don't value the little things. And then another reason that we don't pay attention to that, little things have big consequences, stay with me here, is that, that they're little. They're just small. They're invisible. And, and the small things are easy to do, but they're also easy not to do. But when we do little things over and over and over again, they bring back an incredible result. Just practicing every day on an instrument has an incredible result. Just reading for 15 minutes every day has an incredible result. Reading a a proverb from the Bible every day has a profound result in your life. Nobody sees that. Nobody's applauding you. There you go. That's good. Little things consistently done on time, over time, have profound results in your life. And you build your life ultimately over your choices, over over the little things. I read a great uh, illustration of this in recent weeks. We were on our cruise, and I, I took some books with me, and I did more than read. But um, I did read, and I came across this uh, this little story or illustration. Some of you know where I'm going with this. But let's say that uh, I, I gave you a, a magic penny. And I said, I have this magic penny, and uh, it's just a penny now, but it doubles every day for one month. So on the, on the first day you get it, it's one penny. But the second day, it's two cents. And the third day, it's four cents and so forth. But before I, I give you that penny, I say, now, I, I can either give you this penny or I, I can give you $5 million. And it's good. It's a $5 million check. So you can have this check or you can have this, this magic penny. You would jump and you would say, give me, give me the check. I want $5 million. Until you begin to realize that over 30 days, that that quote magic penny is not magic after all. Over 30 days, that equates to $5,368 and some change. It's over $5 million. And if there's 31 days, it's almost $11,000 over over $10,000. So here's what happens is we, we just see pennies. 
We just see, well, I'm just going to read for 15 minutes, but not if you do it every day. I'm just going to memorize a verse, but not if you meditate every day. And so we, we don't do the little things. We want a big harvest. We want a big job. We want the results. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by Robert Louis Stevenson. Listen to this. Listen to this incredible quote. He says, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. That is a powerful quote. Do not judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. That's huge. Let me put it another way. That's what success is. Success success is not determined by the harvest. Success is determined by what you sow every day. No matter how small it is, if it's done consistently over time. And so the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit, in Galatians chapter 6, he gives us this agrarian metaphor of planting a garden or planting a field. And he says to, to have success, you're going to have to cultivate the land. You're going to have to sow the seed. And that's your part. God is going to have to come along and bring the sunshine God is going to have to bring adequate amount of water. And then the harvest is going to come and you're going to have to reap the harvest. You have a part. God has a part. There's a divine part. There's a human part. And the same principle is active in your life every day because you're going to sow what you reap. But I don't know what I'm going to reap until I sow it. I have to just keep sowing. Just sow. Don't, don't judge the success of a day by what you see. Judge the success of your day, even by your life. You're going to reap some things in your grandchildren and in what your children do by what they reap and what they do, by what you taught them and opportunities that they have been given. I stand on the shoulders of my parents and my grandparents there in heaven. And even going back further than that, my teachers, they have given me opportunities that I do not deserve. And they have sown into my life. I'm profoundly grateful. And I will always sow what I reap and I will get out of life what I put into it. One man said this, listen to this, the results of your life will be based on the decisions you make, the habits you stake, And the habits you break. He's right. It's not luck. You're not lucky you have a good marriage. You're not lucky you have a good Sunday school class. You're not lucky you're a good friend. You're not lucky. It's it's what you're sowing. It's what you're putting into it. And what happens sometimes is we become angry. Well, they got promoted ahead of me. And, and, and they were just lucky. And, and we get angry at people and we get angry at institutions and we become bitter people at the consequences because we weren't oriented around, around sowing. We've got to be good sowers. 
You've got to be good planters. Now, here's the big idea of the message. When you sow the right kind of seed, you'll reap the right kind of harvest. When you sow the right kind of seed, you'll reap the right kind of harvest. The choices I make today will show up in the quality of life I have tomorrow. The quality of life I have today is reflected on the choices that I made yesterday. If you keep on doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep on getting what you've been getting, for good or bad. If you want to change your future, you must change your choices in the present. And you need God's help. You say, I haven't been doing well with that. You need the help of God. Now, I want you to look in Galatians chapter 6. Look at verses 7 through 10 with me. We're not going to look at all these verses. I'm going to lift one principle. I've already hinted at it, but Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You will not mock at this principle. You are not an exception to it. And here it is. Whatsoever a man soweth that, that seed shall he reap. Don't mock that. Don't mock it. It's going to come true. If you're a Christian, if you're a non-Christian, it's like gravity. Gravity works. The law of sowing and reaping happens in your life. Verse 8, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore, in other words, in light of what's gone, we just read, as we have therefore opportunity to do good unto all men, especially unto them of the household of faith, to do good unto all, but especially unto Christians. Now here is... is the principle I want to give you from the Bible today. We get the harvest we plant. We get the harvest we plant. The Bible says in verse 7, Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap life everlasting. Now, I want you to become attentive and intentional and careful where you reap. I want you to have a bountiful harvest of good. And there's two fields that you can sow. First of all, it's the field of the flesh and then the field of the spirit. Now, your flesh is that corrupt nature that you got from your father, that he got from his father, that he got from his father all the way back to Adam. And it is a flesh that is prone to sin, and at the core of that flesh is selfishness. Now, when we read Galatians 6, 8, He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Typically, we, we think of a moral issue, and it applies to that. But the text, the context of the text is about giving. Look at verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate, that word means to share, unto him that teacheth in all good things. And the word communicate means to fellowship through giving. 
And when people do things for you, you need to you need to share of your resources with them. Look at verse ten. As you have opportunity, do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. He's talking about finances and resources. But here's the problem. My corrupt flesh, which is selfish, doesn't want to share. I want to hoard. I want to keep. I want to be stingy. Stay with me. When I do that, I, I am planting a seed for my future that is corrupt. It is a seed of the flesh. And here's what's going to happen to that seed that's going to crop up one day. It's going to die. Or my kids are going to see it. They have their own corrupt nature. But they're going to see the corrupt influence that their father, their mother, their pastor, whoever has. You know, sometimes Christians are the most stingy people I know. Not, not always, but many times they are because they claim to be generous, but their generosity ends because they, they claim to be good stewards. Now, the word steward means to be a manager, but they've given the same as they have ever since they've been saved. They, they never give more, and, and they're very stingy. They do give, but they're very they're very stingy. And your children see that. They see it with them, they see it with other people. And one day they're going to be stingy with you. He that sows of the flesh shall reap corruption. It's going to die in your life and it's going to be corrupt in other people's lives. I showed you this verse last week. Look at it again. I think it'll be on the screen. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. His own way. Not your way, not God's way. I'm interested in my way. I'm not submissive. I'm not interested in what you're saying. I have my way of doing things. Now, the word way there is a Hebrew word that means a journey or a road. It means your journey of life. We have turned everyone to his own journey. And all of a sudden, that, that journey gets, gets put in, into cement. And you have habits, selfish habits. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. I know firsthand, because I know a lot of waiters, they tell me that they, they don't like to work on Sundays because that's when Christians come out to eat. They stay long. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. If you tell, if, if you tell your waiter or waitress, hey, we're going to be here, but I'll compensate for the time with a tip. They leave messes with their children. On the floor, crackers and stuff. And they, they don't tip. My kids would tell me when they worked at restaurants that Christians would come and they would have Bible studies. And they would leave and leave $2 bills after being there for several hours. 
they would come home and tell me, pastors, and tell me their names. Some I know. And they would leave a dollar. And leave a tract. Now, I'm glad they waited on my kids and not lost people. This is a mockery. He that soweth to the flesh reaps corruption. The word corruption means to decay, to disintegrate. Selfishness doesn't want to sow. Giving is unnatural. Money that is sown to the flesh, that's to me. I'll spend it on me. See, I need to keep that because I have plans for myself, for my own way. And so I'm a good steward and I've stewarded it for these things. My friend, listen, whatever I keep, I will ultimately lose. I, I know you have to pay your bills and I know you, you it's good to, to plan vacations. You need to go on vacation. I've taught you that. I've tried to model that for you. But you need to be generous. You're going to lose what you don't give. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And especially especially in spiritual matters, we're going to lose these things. We we need to, to give. We need to sow seeds in the work of God. What what is your ministry here? Well, I, you don't want to give time. You don't want to give energy. Let me just drop off a word. You don't want to give. And I, I'll, I'll change the quote a little bit that Elliot made, which is really a, a well-known quote because it's so true. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to change the line. Or change a word. He is a fool who does not give what he will not keep to forfeit what he's going to lose. We live in eternal bodies. And the reason the reason we listen, the reason we live like this is we don't believe it. We think, listen, we think it's not like we're in this big battle. We think we're doing right. Let me give you some verses. Proverbs 14, 12. I'm going to misquote it. There is a way that seems wrong unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. People don't make bad choices because they think they're doing wrong. There is a way which seems right in the moment. Say, this is the right choice. This is because it's for me. You're so blinded by sin. You're going to reap what you sow. There's going to be a harvest one day. And it's not too far off. And it's going to be an eternity. Two times in the book of Judges, the same sentence is used in a time of great trouble in the nation of Israel. Here's what it says. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in their own eyes. 
They didn't do what was wrong. They were doing what they thought was right. And, and the Bible says the culture disintegrated because they, did, they didn't do what was right by God's standard. Here's what the Bible tells us to do. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 7 through 9, pay attention to this. Let the wicked forsake his way. There's the word, the way. It's a Hebrew word, his highway, your way of living, your selfish way of living. Your, your, your limited your limited sight. Open up. Okay, stop sowing that that corrupt seed. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Because the way you think is associated with your way, with your selfishness. Let him return unto the Lord. He will, God will have mercy upon him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. The word return means to repent. Repent of your thinking. Repent of your selfishness. God will enlarge your thinking. He'll enlarge your heart and change your way. Verse 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your thoughts. Ways my way, says God. God has a different highway. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, you get to choose the quality of your harvest. But it's related to the quality of your seed. And it's the, listen, it's the opposite of your thinking. Most of the time, when you're faced with a situation, you can just go because we're so selfish at our core. What is the opposite thing I should do? Most of the time, and that's what you should do, not always. Let me give you an example. The way to be promoted is to serve. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25, Jesus called his disciples and said, The princes of the Gentiles, this is the way the world thinks. They exercise dominion, structures of authority and, and power and, 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 and dress certain ways and use certain vocabularies. And they that are great, now great in their own eyes, exercise authority. They're concerned about authority. Speaking with certain tones. But it shall not be so among you. He's talking to his disciples. Don't, he's, don't, don't do that. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. He said, don't push, don't scheme, don't compete. Now, I'll tell you what I think. According to this verse, you're not even thinking about being great. You're just trying to serve. And in serving in the estimation of other people, you become great because if you're thinking about great, your motive is still muddled. The way to promotion in God's kingdom is to serve. Seek the bottom floor. Seek the last seat. Seek the small portion. The way to experience life is to die. Mark eight thirty five. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel is the same shall save it. It's by giving up your life. It's by surrendering. God said, this is the way you live life. 
It's by letting go. Again, it's not by trying to be first. In God's kingdom, the way to success and fruitfulness is by humility. It's not by pride. It's not by pushing. It's not by getting your name out. It's by humility. It's by genuineness. John 12, 24, Jesus said, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. Fall into the ground. You know what that, that's obscurity. Again, he's using sowing and reaping here. And dying. The shell, the external shell has to die. So the good fruit inside can blossom. But as long as you refuse to die, you abide alone. But when you die, that old hardness on the outside dies. The Bible says you begin to bear fruit. There's humility. There's a willingness not to to be famous or whatever the issue is. And then one other, the way, and there are many others. I'm just selecting a couple. The way to receive is by giving, not by hoarding, not by scheming. Jesus said, Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given unto you. You want to receive, give. Again, that's not even your motive, but this is what happens. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. The ladies were going to the markets. They had these big, almost like aprons. And they would get the corn or the grain and they would put it in there. And they would press it down and shake it together. It would run over and they would put more. And that's that's a picture here. God will give you plenty. Shall men give into your bosom? He'll give you plenty. With the same measure that ye meet or ye measure with all, it shall be measured to you again. Is there some area of your life that you're, you're just sick of? Sow these kingdom principles. Change the seed that you're sowing. Make different decisions. Your experience in a harvest. Now, I'm not talking about a trial. I'm talking about some, some boneheaded things. You said, man, why did I do that? Because this is seed that you've sown. Now look at verse 8 again in Galatians. The that soweth his flesh reaps corruption, decay, ruin. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And that's not talking about going to heaven. That's talking about not a quantity of life, but a quality of life. Both in heaven but also in this life. Now stay with me. That means, in terms of giving, that's a context here, has a broader application. When I listen to God, and I go against my selfish nature to be humble, to be last, to give the best peace to others, whatever it is, to serve when I want to be served, whatever it is, and I, I follow the direction of God's Spirit, I'm, I'm sowing some different seed. And the Bible says, I will reap a different quality that is not going to be corrupt. It's going to live. I'm going to get rewards in heaven, but in this life, it's not going to decay. It, it's going to live forever. 
It's going to live forever in my children, in my friends. You know, the people that have impacted me have not just been people by what they said, but how they lived. Someone said, you you impress people at a distance, but you impact them up close because they see your sacrifice. They see your authenticity. Let me give you a couple of verses. Romans chapter 6 and verse 22. The apostle said, now being made free from sin and, and become servants to God. You're serving God. You have your, watch this, your fruit unto holiness. Now what is fruit? It, it's a seed that has been sown. And in the end, everlasting life. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about a quality of life. So holiness is a harvest of sowing to the spirit. It's a quality of life. An ungodly character is a quality of the harvest of sowing to your flesh. And sometimes it's just a lack of of not being unselfish. When you just sow selfishness, it may not be where you had a drunken weekend. You were just selfish with your parents last night. You were just... You refuse to serve, and you're sowing these things. Are you getting this? You have your fruit unto holiness. At the end, everlasting. You see, most people that are Christians, they don't think of themselves as being unholy. You have a holy position. Sometimes we behave in ungodly ways because we're sowing to the flesh. And every day, every moment, you're sowing. I'm sowing. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, the desire for the world, because it's temporary. The things that I, I want. Well, I, I hope I make All-American. I hope I make All-Star. I hope I get Employee of the Month. I hope I get the bonus. I hope, I hope, I hope. I, 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 me, 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 me. Now, I'm not against any of those things. I wanted my kids to have some of those things. But even those things can become selfish. You have to die to yourself. You have to die to the flesh. These things pass away. See, God's way is eternal. This is God's way. What is God's way? The will of God. And the Bible says, He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. One of D.O. Moody's a favorite verse is I sent a note to Zach last night. I said, I wonder if, if you're related to him. You know, the Moody's, Matt Moody, related to D.L. Moody, needed to let Matt preach sometime to find out, don't we? Huh? In the year 2000, I went to D.L. Moody's grave, and I stood there, and I saw his tombstone. He's got a picture of it. You can't see it, but at the bottom... That's it. And at the very bottom there, do you know what's at the very bottom? You can look it up on the internet later. Is he that doeth the will of God abideth forever, first John two seventeen. That's the only verse on his headstone. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 
He that soweth to the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. Well, I, I'm not sowing to the flesh. Are, are you selfish? They say, don't, don't, don't think that you're not doing that when you're sowing seeds all the time that are protecting yourself. Several years ago, a, a new autobiography came out uh, about Mickey Mantle. I love biographies and I love sports. I love baseball. So I read it. And I knew he had a rough life. He was probably, would have been, and certainly one of the top five baseball players of all time, and probably would have been the greatest. I don't know who the greatest is, and some say he was the greatest. But he was playing a game early in his career, and incredibly, in the outfield of a major league park, they had a a pothole. Can you imagine this? A hole in the outfield. They wouldn't have that today. And he, he, his foot went in there. It didn't wrench his ankle. It wrenched his knee. And he was the fastest player, one of the fastest in history at that time, to go from, from home to first. He was what they call a five-tool player. Five aspects. In base. He was the best at all of them. Unbelievable player. Had a rough relationship with his father from Oklahoma. He got married. He said he really never loved his wife, but they stayed married. And then he found this other lady that just, he never divorced his wife, but he started living with this lady. Became a slave to alcohol. Had a very pleasant personality. People loved him. He was fun, but he was reckless. He would come to games drunk. He said at the end of his life, he said, you know, and he was serious. He wasn't being funny. He said, if I would have known that I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. At the very end of his life, uh, when he was dying, he had a teammate, Bobby Richardson. I tried to get Bobby to speak here. He played second base, and he was just almost impossible to get him. And... uh, Talked to him on the phone one day. He coached at the University of South Carolina and other places. And so Bobby had influence with him. And and Mickey watched Bobby live for Jesus. He knew he was a real deal. And Bobby came up there to, I think it was a Southern Methodist University Hospital outside of Dallas. A few days before he died, and he said... uh, I'm dying. He said, Mick, I know you are. And he shared the gospel with him. And Mickey trusted Christ as his Savior with all of his sin and regret and asked Christ to be his Savior. And at his funeral, I watched the funeral. It was about a two and a half hour service. Bobby Richardson told how that the next day he had to go home. The next day he went back in to see him and he he said, Mickey, are you, are, you, are you saved? He said, Bobby, I am saved. He said, how do you know? This is a day after he trusted Christ. And he looked right at him and he said, Bobby, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he got saved literally on his deathbed. 
And Mickey Mantle had a very unusual request. He said, at my funeral, I want Roy Clark, the old country western singer, to sing a song. And it was a song that I had never heard of. And they told at the funeral, they said he, he asked him to sing this. And I'd never heard the song. I uh, went and listened to it, uh, not occasionally, but every couple of years. And I cried as I listened to that song. You know what the song was about? I'm going to read the words to you in a minute. It was about the consequences of Mickey's life. It was a very honest song. It was about him wasting his life and sowing to the flesh. He was, by the way, Mickey's son died from alcoholism at a very young age. He had another boy that had a hard time. It was as if he's warning his boys and warning his friend. You know how he started drinking? His teammate offered him a beer when he was a rookie. That's how he started. He never had a drink until they got in baseball and a teammate offered him a beer. And this is a song about sowing seeds of the flesh that Roy didn't write this song, but listen carefully to this. I read it to Paula last night. It's so powerful. It's called Yesterday When I Was Young. Yesterday when I was young, the taste of life was sweet as rain upon my tongue. I teased at life as if it were a foolish game. The way the evening breeze may tease a candle flame. The thousand dreams I dreamed, the splendid things I planned. I always built on weak and shifting sand. I lived by night and shunned the naked light of day. And only now I see how the years ran away. Yesterday when I was young... So many lovely songs were waiting to be sung. So many wayward pleasures lay in store for me. And so much pain my dazzled eyes refused to see. I ran so fast and youth at last ran out. I never stopped to think what life was all about. And every conversation I can now recall concerned itself with me. And nothing else at all. Yesterday the moon was blue and every crazy day brought something new to do. I used my magic age as if it were a wand. And never saw the waste and emptiness beyond. The game of life I played with arrogance and pride. And every flame I lit too quickly And it quickly died. The friends I made all seemed somehow to drift away. And only I am left on stage to end the play. There are so many songs in me that will never be sung. I feel the bitter taste of tears upon my tongue. The time has come for me to pay for yesterday when I was young. That is a powerful lyric. I have so much respect 
for Mickey Mantle for having that song at his funeral because his teammates and his family and many people watching, they knew the course of his life. And it was as if he was warning them, don't do what I did. What seeds are you sowing? Are you sowing to the flesh? Are you sowing selfishly? Are you sowing the gospel? Are you telling people about Jesus? Are you telling them about the goodness of God and what he has done for you? You know, listen, the law of sowing and reaping has no exception. It works 100% of the time except for one, one time. The only exception is when God will release you from the forgiveness of your sins. That's it. God will clear your record in heaven from the consequence of your sins. Now, you still have to give account for the consequences. But God will expunge and cleanse your record before a righteous and a holy God so you can stand there forgiven and cleansed. But every day of my life and every day of your life, you're sowing seed. What type of land are you sowing? Are you sowing on corrupt land? Are you sowing on corrupt seed? Are you sowing on land that has eternity in it and seed with eternity? I want you to pray with me. You've been so attentive today. I don't ever want to take advantage of your time, but I'll tell you, this is crucial. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to ask a question today. I wonder if there's someone here that would say, Pastor, 